You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode number 80 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming. The milestones continue to fall. I like the number 80, it's a good one. And I've got a great guest here I'm going to talk to you about shortly. Just a little reminder before we do get to that, I will be eternally grateful if you could leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts. I have so many of you reaching out to me on LinkedIn. The number of listeners is growing daily it seems and i'm always getting great feedback so please do keep on giving us feedback but if you could leave us a review on apple it helps the show so much anyway on to the show and today we are joined by nicola hodkinson who is owner and director at seddon construction a principal contractor with its roots in bolton and with a growing number of offices across the midlands and the north of england it's lovely to have you here today how's everything going nicola it's lovely to be here. Hi, it's good, thank you. Yeah, good to be with you. And are you in the Bolton HQ? I am. I've moved rooms three times to try and find a nice quiet room. One had a fly in it, so I couldn't couldn't sit in there. So <laughs> I have moved rooms. I'm actually in our wellbeing room, which uh, has a bed in it and um, a musculoskeletal and other bits and pieces where we do all our, our occupational health. So uh, I'm in good 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 room today. Well, depending on how relaxed we get, we'll see if you can go and have a little chillax a little bit later on. But um, no, it's really fantastic to have you on the show. Obviously, I gave a brief introduction to you and your role at Seddon and obviously talked very briefly there about who you guys are as a business. I've done you absolutely no justice, I am sure. Tell us a little bit about the business and your role at the business. So we are a construction business. Uh, we are fourth generation. So I am the fourth generation with my two brothers. So my youngest brother, Jonathan, um, is our chief executive. And my middle brother, because I'm the eldest, is a development director, so managing director of our development arm. We're about circa 220 million turnover, based in around the Midlands and the Northwest. So Northwest, sort of, you know, up to Cumbria, Carlisle. We nip into Yorkshire, sort of all Liverpool, Cheshire, Manchester, kind of down towards Derbyshire and then the Midlands kind of up towards Stafford across to Derby down towards Leicester into Worcester um, we, we don't do as much um, in the south although our painting division does go into the south we don't tend to go inside the M25 corridor we'll leave that that to others very northern approach to life <laughs> yes yeah but you know we you know we will go in a way we have a bit of a, a saying at said and we'll go where our customers want us to go you know we need to know the supply chain that, that's absolutely key you're only as good as the people that work for you and your supply chain so we're Ooh, not going to pick up a piece language. of work yeah we're not going to pick up a piece of work where we do not know the supply chain it's it's just a recipe for disaster and there are enough difficulties in the industry without actually adding them to the menu um, you know, we do everything ranging from house building for the private sector as well as registered providers. So when I mean registered providers, that's social housing. So we'll work for councils and we'll work for registered providers in, in, in delivering their affordable their affordable schemes across um, those areas. And then also the private sector, we, we sell uh, probably near on 200 houses a year and that's growing. So that's seven homes limited. So, you know, we've got both feet in both camps of, of house building. So in short, Nicola, you are very, very busy 
people and a very busy company that has grown over a long period of time and is blossoming. Now, one of the reasons I was particularly drawn to speaking to you was that I see that you, you're very kind of like outwardly culture focused as a business and as an, as an individual, which I thought was relatively unique, actually, in the sense of contracting company. Not that nobody else does it, but I thought the way that you were presenting yourself and talking about that was really interesting. So could you talk about why culture matters to you as a business? Culture for us is, is you know, what, one, one of the family's values is to make sure we have a stable working environment. And our responsibility as family as the leaders and also the leaders in our business we have managing directors and leadership teams in our business is to make sure we have diversification that we don't put all our eggs in one basket so whilst i've just explained that we do an awful lot around house building we also have a commercial arm as well so you know we will build whether it's refurbishment or new build you know healthcare education retail and industrial because at any one time in our industry each one of those is going to be in favor you know, so you have to be able to be adaptable in a market. And that's that's also with the people that we employ. They, you know, you can't be a one trick pony at the end of the day. And that's, you know, that's where, you know, it has been difficult. And, you know, the contracting world, you know, how sustainable is construction as a contracting sector in a 2% net margin in a 10% inflation economy? It's really difficult. And we've lots, lots of competitors have gone by the wayside over the last few years. And, you know, there are lots of reasons and lots of reasons why we're still here. And so there are very few reasonably sized contractors left in the market. And that becomes a difficulty and a worry for our customers as well. So we try to be a bit unique. We try to be different. We try to have a varied portfolio um, for all of those reasons. We're unique in that we employ 700 people. And the uniqueness comes from we're not just a management company. We also employ boots on the ground. So we've got about 250 275 but how do you how do you set the culture in the business to create that success that to me struck me initially when i saw you and how you were presenting yourself outwardly and also as a business was that and you talked about being unique as a contracting company there you've you've, you've set the culture you have i think seven c's in your business we do we do i think the culture comes from um within the business you know you can write it and then, and then from a, a customer point of view and the consultants and the supply chains and the people we employ, they have to feel it. And you can write it all out and you read it and you go, oh, that sounds fabulous. If when you get in that business, that's not how it feels, then we're very, very open to saying, calling it out and telling us where, where, what are we saying and reflecting that actually is not what you are experiencing. And I think it's around inclusivity. We try to be as inclusive as we possibly can. And we don't always get it wrong. In fact, we get lots of things wrong. But we have a very open door policy where, you know, please come and tell us where something's not working. And by actually people saying that isn't working, whether that's on site or in an office or with a customer or a consultant, we all we have a, another saying is, you know, most things can be resolved over a cup of tea. Hence why I have a lovely cup here with them. Um, You've got to have a brew, haven't you? It. Always got to have a brew. If you can resolve something by having a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and a, and a, and a biscuit, you can more or less resolve everything. If you have to get the contract out then you've kind of, it's, it's already lost, you know, and we try to avoid that. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And obviously, that's a um, kind of like a, a top down thing, how that culture breeds through how when you're talking to your friends, your non industry friends, your non construction friends, and you talk to them about the culture of industry, because I have 
I have done, I've had many conversations with friends where I explained to them how construction is. I was a QS. Ah, uh, yeah, uh, okay. It's, 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 yeah, precisely. <laughs> yeah, so please do. So it's, it's hard to explain exactly that culture, or I always found it hard. How do you describe the culture? Where do you think we're going wrong? Or um, is that too much of a leading question? I would say, how do I, well, let's say, how do I, how do I describe construction? just generally, because we do an awful lot around recruitment. So I would say in two ways, it's amazingly challenging. So no two days are the same, no two projects are the same. And it's a team industry, you know, you, you can work in isolation, but everything is entwined. It, whether you're working in one team or, or a supply chain team, everything has a knock-on effect because it's programmed, everything's planned. Hence why culture is so important, chat. right? Yeah. And you have to be able to go, oh, we're late uh, or we're early. We need things to change. And you have to be very, very adaptable and flexible because you can put a program in place at the beginning of the contract. And by about week 20, that program will have been rejigged and reforecast three or four times. So you've got to be hugely creative and you've got to find solutions because an architect can draw something and you come to build it. You go, hmm. Not sure that's going to work quite like that. So you do have to be very solution orientated. And I think, you know, it is one of those industries, and there's only very few industries, but we are one of them where you can look back and go, I built that. Regardless of what you did, whether you were the administrator on that job, whether you were the bricklayer on the job, the ground worker, the landscaper, whether you were the cleaner cleaning the cabins or the planner doing the planning or the QS doing the numbers. I was involved I on that built project. that. And we have lots of people who work at Seddon who go, oh, my God, I've been in this industry so long. They're rebuilding something I built when I was in my 20s. How old does that make me feel? I was always told by one of my first contracts managers that when that happens, when one of, one of your first projects is being taken down, that's when you know you should retire. And <laughs> that, was always, that was always what he told me. But no, I completely agree with you, actually. And that's exactly how I felt about construction. You know, it's tough. It's amazingly challenging, as you say. And the one not the one joy but one of the primary joys that you do get out of it and i think this will resonate with everyone is oh I, that's a project i was involved in go to another town there's a city that's a project i was involved in. and that's exactly how i feel or even looking at something else that somebody else has built and going oh want to build it like that <laughs> <laughs> you Indeed. know because it's it's very 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 visual and everybody and, it, and from an architectural point of view everybody has an opinion on something and you only have to look at all the programs that are on telly now around development, you know, brand designs, all of those sorts of things. Everybody has an opinion and nobody's opinion is wrong. It's, it's great. It's a great world to be in, um, you know, and, and as an industry, it is, you know, your development, you know, you can start anywhere. You can start as a trade and you, there is no ceiling. You know, the ceiling is you and what you want to get out of it. You know, we've got... I know of um, managing directors of supply chain who started as, as trays and on the tools. You know, there are very few industries where you can progress in that way and, and go horizontally as well as vertically, you know. So it is a great, it's great. I can see that it's a, obviously it's a family business. Some of the runs. Yeah, my deep... dad was a bricklayer. That's, that was his trade. Oh, really? But it runs deep in the blood, four generations, you said. And I can see that you're enthused and energised when you talk about construction. There's a big yeah. smile coming across your face as well. If you're not <laughs> careful, she's going to start relaxing in the bed if we're not careful. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> one of the things that we talked about quite a bit offline was finding the right customers as a main contractor. in As a business as established as yours 
you know, you talked there about 10% inflation, 2% margin, ah, which is a pretty fair assessment of where we're at now. Main contracting is a tough business to be in. There is yeah, so pricing much. something in 2020 and getting it on site in 2021 and not finishing it till 2024. You know, it's not, Precisely. It's not like baking How, biscuits yeah. and, you know, that is difficult. Yeah, exactly. So you've talked to me about finding the right customers and finding customers who want you to make money right now there's probably people listening going finding clients that want me to make money that doesn't make any sense in construction it's a big slug fest but how do you describe those clients you said that you found them you said you work with the clients that share the culture share that vision that we're all in it for business to make money what do those clients look like well, I'd say currently now, when I asked that question recently, about 78% of our current workload is repeat, repeat customers. So that's why we developed the seven C's. So we wanted our teams when they were finding clients and wanting to work with clients, because obviously we get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of work come under our nose, you know, and we'll say no to an awful lot of work. We have to say no very carefully. because Especially in the South. Work, yeah. Why not? With those pesky why, Southerners. Yeah, yeah, those pesky Southerners. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, when, when, so you have to say no carefully, especially if you're on a framework. So you've, you've, you've won the position to get on the framework and then work comes out through that framework and they're only giving it to you and maybe three or four others. And we have to be careful that we don't, you know, you don't make a customer unhappy, but it has to be the kind of right work. So you have to be careful when you're refusing work or rejecting work that you, you're you not rejecting it out of, out of hand. You have to have a proper, you know, a good explanation behind it. So we set up our seven C's. So everything starts with the customer. So how well do we know that customer? And Is that one of the C's, customer? Well, that's your first one, starts with customer. So how well do we know them? And how, and what is their culture like? You know, do they value the contractors? Do they oh, recognize... I think we're on th- are we on three C's there? I'm trying to keep up. No, no, so... that's still the first C. There's a lot of C's in this. Okay. You know, do they value <laughs> contracting contractors? And do they recognize that we all need to make a margin? And so does the supply chain in order for everybody to be... How um, do you... Let, let's let's dwell on that for a moment, right? Do they recognize that we need to make profit, a margin? How on earth do you find out that beyond the obvious? Central government do. So if you're working and procuring directly for the government, yes. And that comes back to the construction playbook. Local authorities, housing providers, uh, private sector, no. There is still a dance for the bottom, still a dance for the lowest price. They may say, you know, we're going to measure you on your safety, your quality, your processes, you know, all of those sorts of things. There's less interest. And it might look on paper that it's weighted all in that favour but it is very much down to the bottom price. And when you've only got a 2% margin and you're taking all of the risk, you know, when they're asking you to take the risk on if it rains or not, you kind of know it's going to be doomed. Or so, if it's super hot. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, we would rather work. So that's why we, we only do um, two-stage tendering and we negotiate so we can sit down with a cup of tea and negotiate <laughs> and be is much, much more first open and foremost. Work. Are they going to have a cup of tea with me? That's a client yeah. I want to work with or yeah. not. Yeah, absolutely. It's about having that cup of tea. And then the second thing that we look for in our customers, um, what's their cash position? So have they got the money to pay us? You know, And we recognise the importance of prompt payment and sensible payment terms because otherwise we're, we're then struggling to pay our supply chain. What, are their, what consultants are they using? 
do we know the consultants so if they're choosing the consultants do we know those consultants because actually the consultants that they choose will probably determine the culture you know and how that that's a really good indicator of culture and then you know capacity do we so this is less about the customer but do we have the capacity and does the supply chain have the capacity and the correct levels of management to actually run that project for the duration of that project and then last two or last three capability do we have the right people with the necessary experience to actually do that job we you know we come up against other contractors who win a job and then they go to market to go and find the people to deliver it so they don't know those on a two percent margin on it and and then they go and inflate the margin by being desperate and going throwing 10 15 percent extra salary at people to bring them in to do it but they've not been proven in their own organization and um, you know and do we have the right people to manage the complexity of, of that project and then the contract another big c if it's a heavily amended contract it's usually been amended to suit the customer and the, and the consultant it's always been amended to suit yeah. the customer and they've not, never amended it to suit you yeah, and not the contractor and is that really where we want to work and who we want to work with and I think, again, that forms part of culture. Yeah, so that, those seven Cs, we've got customer, cash, consultants, capacity, capability, complexity, and contract. Um, well, capability, right? no complexity. That's the same C as, okay. in, as, in your, um, as in your capability. Your contract is really important, and that comes down to you know, being able to build a relationship, having a cup of tea, negotiating. I was going to say, yeah. You know, because that starts right at the beginning. If you can, if you can do that, with, so we're working um, for government at the minute, and... The procurement process of that has been a dream. It's been like a Carlsberg moment. Really, really good. We've won and we're now in mobilisation. Now, we're not on site yet. But we can't see it changing. And they've been very, very inclusive. Very, let's sit down and have a conversation. And just very collaborative. And I think that's what's missing. Just that collaboration with us and bringing in... There's bringing so in many Cs. I'm trying to keep up. I mean, Is collaboration part of it or... <laughs> But the no, no but a... I guess it's not, but it, that's an outcome. If, if all of those things work, then you can collaborate, which means you can collaborate at the beginning. So, you know, contracts that don't start well, don't progress well. If you can't, if you're forced onto site before you are ready and you, you're behind before you even get going, you, it's just so hard because the... Um, Timescales and planning and prelims and everything. You're forever so, chasing so your tail, aren't you? are chasing your tail. So we have a really good start well, start well, stop, stop, stop. Talk to the client and explain why. But funding is part of where, you know, clients have to start sometimes because of funding. And culture is the golden thread that goes through through every single All of one, those. All the way through. Yeah. yeah. No, I like it. I like it. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and there's quite a lot of inward thinking there about us as an organization and outward thinking about the client as an organization yeah. is this going to work and does the contract bind it together yeah. and that makes a lot of sense yeah. and what you we also need about... to do is to pass the seven c's to our supply chain to say you need to be looking at your customers us and other contractors in the same way because to you see know, if it all fits together yeah, quite a lot of pain has come from supply chain going under but we've not been the ones that have taken them under. It's been another, it's been one of their one of their customers that may have taken them under. And maybe if they followed the sef, same seven C's, we wouldn't have that risk. Everyone would benefit and you'd deliver yeah. better projects, which I understand. Yeah. I want to actually talk to you about the government project that you've mentioned, the construction playbook, which we briefly touched on. Um, and we can talk more about that right after this break, Nicola. Hello, it's me again. 
I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co-founded Sealink with my best mate Chris. Chris and I were both QSs, and this is going to sound sad, but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering, and we realised the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming, and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, if you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link. It's software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you, or someone you know, tenders with subcontractors, you've got to see our software. Head over to our link, www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box. So again, there's no excuses. Now, let's get right back to the show. So Nicola, we've discussed the seven C's and it strikes me that whether you use all the seven, whether you use more, how you adapt it, that will resonate with people in just perhaps how they approach their clients, how they assess their clients and how actually they assess their own skills for the project, which is why I can see that you guys are a success. What I want to talk to you about in the second half of the show is something that you mentioned about Paul, we just had, I'm going to, This is, I'm fibbing here, but this is how I took it in my mind. Paul, we just had the most amazing experience during a tender phase with the government. And I want to tell everyone why it was so good and what we can all learn from it. So I want to talk to you about that. The government's construction playbook came out in 2020, I think, right at the end of 2020 at some point. And that influences their thinking theoretically a lot about procurement and the approach to construction talk to me about your experience on that particular project so the construction playbook is government's attempt to set a standard for the industry and therefore by virtue into the supply chain as you cascade it down and it's how we behave and the ways of working and it's from from design into procurement and then it falls into mobilization delivery and also aftercare so it covers the whole of the project lifestyle so for example it talks about early engagement and collaborative working between the parties. And that starts, like we were saying earlier, right at the beginning when you're at the design, design stage before you even get to costing it so that you can do better value engineering and you can be much, much more collaborative. And it's about, the second part of it is also about bidding at a fair margin. So procuring against a range of objectives and not racing to the bottom on price. It also covers ensuring that the risk that is taken on is managed by those who are best to manage it or best to bear it and not just keep pushing it down. Sounds like a groundbreaking suggestion, yeah, doesn't it? It does. It talks about prompt payment and it's quality management, investment skills, people innovation. So lots of other bits and pieces. But but this is only mandated for government. And if government don't use it, they have to actually say why they've not used it. So when you then come into local authority or other public sectors, they don't have to. So they are still procuring differently. Before we get to the rest, let's talk about your experience on this specific project. I don't need to know the name of the project or anything, but why was it such a fantastic procurement process? Why are you beaming from ear to ear about it? Well, it, it was just refreshing. I mean, I was not I was only involved in a certain element of it. So it was a big team, it was a massive bid. It took an awful lot of time. I mean, you know, we spend hundreds of thousands on bidding for work, to be fair. 
And this took an awful lot of time. Now, I was part of the interview panel um, and went to be interviewed. So you I kind of came in at the working. end of it. Yeah, so they wanted, they, wanted to, they wanted to meet the leadership team, you know, who were going to be part of that leadership, who were going to support this, this project. And but all the way through, they, were, they had loads of workshops, loads of collaborations, loads of explaining what their meaning was. So you didn't feel that you were being tripped up from a, from a you know, from a, 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 you know, being allowed to make profit, but being very open, open about it and seeing where that profit could be, where those gains could be made. It was just very refreshing. And every stage, it's been very refreshing. Now we've been awarded and we're now in mobilization. And it's been the same. We are now mobilizing to start. But at every single stage and area, it's been very collaborative. What does a, obviously the playbook says everyone's, everyone should be making money, there should be fair margins. What does a fair margin, like how does it look? You talked about 2% earlier. Does it, is it stay around there? How does it look? I don't know. If I'm honest with you, it can differ. It just depends on what you're, what you're bidding, you know, and where the risk is. But we, you know, 2% just, just does not give this industry enough to be to do enough research and development to look at modern methods of construction to do things differently to try things out because we are so kind of wedded because it is so driven by cost and i think the biggest knock-on effect of not being able to make a, a better margin is around skills and development and this is this is this is fed out in the supply chain well it's it forward thinking isn't it yeah yeah but we but since, since the yeah since the since the recession you know, a lot, a lot of the industry are not employing, and they are relying on agency and labour only, and that is because there isn't enough margin to employ people. You it don't costs want to fix money, cost every, yeah. yeah. And then yeah. government go and put it up by putting national insurance contribution up for employers, so you're almost penalised for employing. So, you know, quite a lot of supply chain and main contractors do not employ, and the numbers that they should be doing or did before um, the recession. And I have a level of sympathy because. We're not like an Amazon or a Tesco where your base is in one place. You know, our base is wherever that's, that contract takes us to. So you do get a lot of a transient workforce and that has a knock-on effect to mental health. And when that contract and ends, where do they go where do, you, where do they go? Where do you go? Which is exactly why yeah. planning for the future R&D investment in the workforce, yeah. not you specifically, but as an industry, you, an you struggle industry. to do it because yeah. you can't, do it. You can't industry, forward plan. Yeah, and as an industry, a decade, two decades ago, we, we championed the way on apprenticeships and we don't anymore. And yet we're probably a quarter of a million people short. But I, it's very difficult to get main contractors and supply chain to actually uh, employ apprentices. So where is our future if we haven't got people coming through? It is a worry, yeah. I mean, going back then to this specific project and it's 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 been a much better procurement process. It's given you more certainty and it's been done in a fair and more balanced way. The construction playbook is, like you say, not just about, well, at the moment, it's just mandated for government, but not seeping all the way through. It's almost like best practice guide. This is something you should be following. Do you guys work to it then with your, how did it affect what you did down the supply chain or what you are doing down the supply chain? Yeah, so we've got obviously our seven C's when we're looking at our customers and we have a similar thing with our supply chain. So we work really closely with our supply chain. We have a preferred, preferred, preferred list and we have a tight supply chain because then we can build relationships with them and we can then give them a much better future view of their pipeline so that they can plan in the same way that we can plan because we've got a better pipeline by, by choosing our customers differently and talking to them of things that could come on plan, you know, could come on um, 
come into work. But the biggest problem we've got with that is is our customers are struggling with planning. Planning applications are taking forever, so things are stalling in that kind of way. And never ending story, isn't it? Never ending story. There's always something. But our supply chain, you know, they they need to have and they need to be able to see what's in front of them. So we've set up um, a portal where they can see all what we're tendering and where we're tendering it, and we get our supply chain that we want to work with to do the you know to, to put prices in and then if you as long as you put that price in then you've got a much better chance of actually being given that work at the end of it you know i've seen it i've seen it before where contractors will kind of say look we've got these two or three jobs coming up which ones do you fancy focusing on to subcontractors which i used to be which ones do you fancy focusing on and trying to work with us and tender on oh i like this one the most I like this one the most but i haven't seen mapping it out this is the future this is where yeah. we're headed yeah. you know you're in safe hands and where with us. geographically yeah. where it is because it needs to be with it they may be based in salford but the job might be in cumbria well we need to develop the cumbrian supply chain most of our customers want us to employ locally but again that's a risk because we might not know them so you have to you have to develop and then you have to try and find work in and around that area to stay in that area and to keep that supply chain boots on the ground in that area and that takes that takes a lot of resource because it isn't just and about you have to saying, cultivate that supply chain yeah. and so I'm, I'm throwing in more seeds here i try yeah. and think of more, more. seeds <laughs> and, and we are so, working very closely with the supply chain and with uh, and with growth hubs that are in local towns and cities to try and help our supply chain become more sustainable and grow but we need you know to, to help them you know so we ask them what what are the, the things that you really need to understand so journey to net carbon zero was one thing upskilling for leadership you know having that skill set early careers development and innovation so we're trying to put some programs together with the growth hub to filter into the supply chain so we'll put these programs on for you because that they're funded and you can then catch you can then be able to become part of it yeah so i guess that kind of to some way leads us on to another conversation that we had which was you have talked in the past about building a much better and much kinder procurement route you've you've kind of reflected on construction and thought how have we ended up doing this race to the bottom right so tough question perhaps right but if we were starting from day zero again and you could remap construction how would you make it a kinder procurement route i think we and customers and supply chain have to learn to trust each other better i think it all comes down to trust you know, construction has become... Can we? Well, I think I think that comes from building relationships. Yes, I think we can. I don't, and I don't think we have a choice. If you think about it, construction is the heart of every single sector. Even a cloud has a building. The cloud is not in a cloud. The cloud is in a building. If we don't have a construction sector that delivers quality, safe, innovative buildings, we don't have retail, healthcare, education, homes. So instead of trying to hit us over the head with a hammer to say you know we want more for less more for less more for less because that's where it's come from so they've been we've been the, the industry has been so been so focused on delivering the lowest price but getting as much out of it and public procurement rules become a blocker rather than an enabler um, and i but maybe it's not necessarily a kinder route just a route that allows for structured conversation that supports a project's outcomes but it also allows all parties, all parties to make a profit, a reasonable profit, and that's not happening. And it's very, very short-sighted from a customer base. And I'll probably get shot for saying that, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, 
go easy go easy go easy yeah, but definitely. we we were introduced to one another by sarah meek now actually yeah. believe that sarah was another milestone episode i think she was number 70 so you're number 80 so that's kind of cool sarah meek is obviously the managing director of mates at mind and they are an organization really supporting mental health and raising awareness in the industry and in other sectors but predominantly in in construction now when you piece it all together as i have the pleasant job of doing on this show when i speak to 80 interesting people over week on week and you start to actually think about what is going on and why now we talked to sarah and she says construction if you're in construction that you've got three times the chance of committing suicide it's a very tough industry in terms of mental health Um, and then i talk to you and you say it's a race to the bottom we need a kind of procurement route eventually you know we don't often swear on this show, but, you know, shit kind of ru- runs downhill, doesn't it? So do you see a correlation and a causation between the way the industry has procured lowest possible price and the mental health crisis that someone like Sarah is bringing to the attention of us all? I would say that construction on the ground on a project is a high, stressful environment to work And therefore, if you've got other things happening in your life, whatever they may be, however they are coming at you, then it's more difficult for you to actually get your head above water. So I don't know when you look at the the suicide rate of people in construction, what roles they were, you know, what roles they had when they when they took their own lives or whether we can delve into the actual whys and the causations. But the numbers are quite high and we also know with the work that we've done at Seddon, because I'm, I'm now a trustee at Makes in Mind, and we've done a lot of work at Seddon to try and make Seddon a place where it is okay not to be okay. Because it's very male dominant, so people tend not to talk as much. I think it's much better now, but I don't think we're there. And, you know, we've worked really hard at starting the conversation, and we call it Jordan's Conversation, after Jordan, who was a painter and decorator, who worked for us for 10 years, and at 26, he sadly took his own life. And no one knew that he was struggling. No one knew that he wasn't in a good place. Not his family, not his friends. <clears throat> he hadn't reached out to his GP. He hadn't run Samaritans. And as his, as his mum Mel put it, he had a moment. And that moment was his final moment. And that really, really shocked everybody on site because he was. everybody knew him. You know, the majority of people who work on our sites in our in our business knew him. And that gave us an opportunity. Very sad, it gave us an opportunity to actually make a difference and do something. Um, turn and it into get, a bit and, of a and, positive. And, yeah, and turn it into a positive. And we've, we've continued to do Jordan's conversation. And that is having a conversation about having a conversation, about not being fearful of asking somebody, are you okay? And not waiting for the kind of, yeah, and someone going, oh, thank the Lord ask again so we we've we've made strides with that we've done training around it but a lot you know some of our stuff that we've been doing is quite symbolic as well so we're putting ourselves out there to say it is okay not to be okay you just you have to you need to be able to feel that that is okay as well because i think that's well, kudos, kudos for that yeah but yeah, i do that's, think that's, that's fantastic the way that the way that procurement works the way that we put programs together that doesn't help either and i think there's a good piece of work to be done there around looking at all of this is and actually one of the biggest key things for me is stability of employment so if you are um working through agency or you're working as labor only you don't have that stable 
working environment you don't know when your next paycheck is coming from i think that must that must be very very difficult to live like that. yeah i think that's also the problem with construction generally isn't it right we don't know where the next project's coming from or that's that's the challenge but it's it's been a fascinating conversation <clears throat> and there's many things really uh, that i am optimistic about in terms of the future you know the, the stuff that mates and mine are doing that, that, that just generally the way the momentum in many ways seems to be quite positive for construction construction playbook you could argue that that sounds like it's having an impact view i'm always very hesitant uh, and skeptical about construction reports drafted by the government because there's been egan latham construction there's been the, the, the list goes on and it seems to be a slow changing beast but i i do at times at the end of the show ask one final question about do you feel optimistic about the future of the industry oh absolutely i mean it, it is an amazing industry to be part of I, i'd like to be able to i'd like the industry to start working closer together i think that would that would make a real difference around around the industry being more rewarding from a financial point of view because i think it's very rewarding from a personal point of view of people that work in in the industry i'd like to see more inclusivity i'd love to see more females coming into it but i think we have to work a lot more around making it a sector of choice um marketing and, us as a yeah, sector right oh absolutely you know the army manager the nhs manager you know we as construction if we came together and pulled our resources together we could really make a difference in making it that sector of choice and um, from professional opportunities down to, to trade opportunities as well everybody it, you know we, we can't do without any of them but the story is there isn't it like you said about trades right you can come in yeah as a trade and the sky is the limit you can come in as anyone and the sky yeah. is the limit right and, and yeah. that to some degree is part of the appeal plus yeah there's you are right it's, we're so decentralized as as a industry as a sector. yeah yeah that we can't all pull together and come up with this amazing yeah. marketing campaign in inverted commas for why we should be attracting new people to it anyway i'm afraid we're at the end of the show um nicola i feel like i could talk to you for <laughs> far far longer um but thank you so much for coming on the show i'll be sharing your details seddon's details in the uh podcast description and uh yeah like i said thank you so much for coming on the show thank you very much for having me i've really enjoyed it thanks very much pleasure was all mine and guys i will speak to you next week have a uh, have a great week ahead and don't forget about my lovely little reviews please cheers see you later